you should hopefully have an outline uh, that says the ultimate test. The ultimate test. I wonder what you regard as the most testing moment of your life. What is that time you can think of when you are most tested? At that time, perhaps, when you felt alone and just pushed to the limits. And immediately when I said it, you said, yeah, that's for me, was the most testing moment of my life. Maybe it's that moment when you were physically sick and it created a war of separation between you and people around you. You felt the pain alone and you couldn't just relate to anyone else. Even when they tried, they just couldn't understand you. Maybe it is a problem you are facing, perhaps a loss of someone close to you or no one around you just understood that loss. And it felt very, very lonely because no one showed any care. And you felt tested in that moment. Maybe right now you are in one of those testing moments of your life. You, you may be in a situation uh, where you're being tested. In fact, uh, uh, we had lunch today with a lady uh, who attends this fellowship who was being tested in that area of our life at this precise moment. So I know in the fellowship there, People even now perhaps who are being tested. And you are facing that trial alone and you, 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 you are wondering when will the trial come to an end? Well, the words of God are often puzzling, aren't they? One of the puzzling things is that God's people seem to go through difficult testing before God uses them. It puzzles me because... I guess, humanly speaking, it's not how I would go about it. But God works out that the best the team he puts together, he tests them through it. And we know this from the rest of scripture, don't we? You think of the life of Abraham. God called him out from, from where he was and sent him out to the land of Canaan without a set now. Him just trusting God, going into a foreign land. He was tested through that process, wasn't he? And you think of the tests with Isaac, for example, how testing that was to offer up your only son. Think of David. David being chased. He's anointed. Notice God anoints David as king, but Saul is still on the throne, and David is tested throughout. Saul even starts hunting him down. We can think of Daniel and his friends in Babylon. They are exiled there. And it's test after test after test. We can go on. We haven't even mentioned Moses, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, others. It seems all God's servants somehow have been tested heavily. We don't like those testing moments, isn't it? We don't like them when we're going through a test. When we are being heavily even tested by God in some sense. So the devil is trying to push us down. We don't, we don't like that. But God allows those tests because he has a purpose for them. Because you see, God usually breaks us to make us totally dependent on him, to become useful vessels. God must sometimes empty us out so that he can fill us with himself. We know that, but we, we still don't like it. It's, uh, it's very difficult. Well, we are currently in Mark. Uh, and this morning we saw God commission. His beloved son. 
the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, to begin the work of ushering in the new kingdom of God. And we, we, but Peter read for us those verses that Jesus begins with in verse 14 to verse 15. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's what Jesus is about. And before he gets to that, he's been baptized. And immediately when Jesus is baptized... We expect everything now to go very well, don't we? We expect to just get on with it. We expect, essentially, uh, if you like, verse 11, to jump 12 and 13 and just begin at 14. But no, it seems like all servants of God, Jesus, the greatest servant of God, is about to be tested. He's about to be tested by God. This evening we are asking a simple question. And the question I'm asking is this. What does the testing of Jesus in the desert say about Jesus? And how we should respond to him? I believe there are two important truths we see from this passage. Look with me at Mark chapter 1 verse 12. The first truth we learn from this passage is that Jesus is tested as one of us. Jesus is tested as one of us. Notice here that Mark tells us that immediately after Jesus is publicly affirmed by God and commissioned for ministry, God the Spirit takes charge. Look at verse 12. The Spirit of God immediately drove him out into the wilderness. The aim is Jesus. Jesus is now in the wilderness. And uh, Luke and Matthew tell us that as he goes into this desert, in this wilderness now, he's also fasting there. He's praying there. And as he's fasting there, we imagine that his body is getting worse every day. Perhaps with each day that passes, we imagine Jesus is starving more. Uh, His body is more dehydrated with every passing day. He is lacking food. Of course, and he's lacking sleep. Sleep must be quite difficult for him as he's in the desert, in the wilderness. I imagine while Jesus is there, he's probably finding it very difficult to sleep. Why? Because he's sleeping in total darkness. Sometimes the darkness wakes you up. It's, it's cold at night, we can imagine. It must be freezing in the night. And his sleep must be very uncomfortable because he's, he hasn't, he has, he's not taking a bed in the desert. Uh, He must be sleeping his head on the rocks or something, on dirt. It's very hard there. He's only got his clock, perhaps, with him. And to make matters worse, Jesus is also being tempted by pure evil. Satan, look at verse 13. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. Let's stop there and notice, first of all, that the word tempt here means to test with the view towards destruction. Satan wishes to destroy Jesus by making him a sinner. That's what this is about. And he's doing that because if Jesus sins, we lose. If Jesus sins here, there is no Calvary. Because the sacrifice on the cross must be pure. So a lot is at stake here. Our, you are at stake in the desert. And Satan is coming out and throwing everything he's got. Do you know, if you read carefully the scriptures, Mark and Luke 
make clear that Satan tempts Jesus for 40 days. The three temptations we have in Matthew and Luke are actually those that Satan just uses at the end. But what's implied in Luke and Mark is that it's, an, it's, a, it's ongoing. He's being tempted by Satan in those 40 days. You and I cannot even begin to imagine what it must be like for Jesus to go toe-to-toe with the most powerful enemy like Satan when he is so frail. You have endured many tests in your life. You have endured many temptations, but you've never endured them alone. Jesus, if you're trusting in Christ, Jesus has always been there with you, helping you. Jesus is here alone. And he's frail. Let's read verse 13 again. And when he was in the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being what? Tempted by Satan. I hope when you read this verse, it at least puzzles you a little bit. It should puzzle you because James 1 verse 13 says this. God cannot be tempted with evil. Jesus is God. So the first question we must ask when we come to the text is, how can Satan tempt Jesus? As we learned this morning, though, we know something. You should hopefully be formulating an answer already. As we, you learned, as we learned this morning, and we've learned hopefully in the last three sermons in Mark, Jesus is one person, not two, one person, but with two natures. He is, has a divine nature. He is 100% God. And he has a human nature. He is 100% man. These two natures make Jesus the one person. Not two persons. The one person. So really what Mark is telling us here, by the virtue of the fact that Jesus is being, is, is being tempted, is that Jesus is facing this harsh test as a man. He's facing this harsh test in his humanity. If you like, Jesus is not, remember, Jesus cannot suspend his divinity. So what Jesus is doing is that Jesus is not relying on his divine privileges and benefits, as we mentioned this morning. He is only relying on God the Spirit and the Word of God to sustain him. But that raises, by the way, there's a lot of questions tonight we need to answer. That raises another question. If Jesus is facing Satan here as a man, Is it possible for Jesus then to sin, even though he never sinned? Is there that possibility? Well, the answer is no. It is not possible. Remember, even though Jesus has two natures, human and divine, Jesus as a whole complete person is God. You need to remember the personhood of Christ. He's divine. He's God. And again, going back to James, God by definition can never sin. G.T. Shedd puts it like this, an iron wire by itself can be bent by anyone. But if that same iron is wooded into an iron bar, you cannot break it. What G.T. Shedd is saying, and what we're saying this evening, is that in the same way, even though the human nature, listen to this, even though the human nature of Jesus could sin on its own, as part of the person of Jesus... It cannot sin because it is joined to the divine nature of Jesus Christ. In other words, the human nature of Jesus, friends, listen, cannot behave contrary 
to his divine nature. Because Jesus is a whole person. You following that? You follow, you're with me so far. What theologians call this divine impeccability. Jesus, the God-man, as a person, our Savior cannot sin and is not able to sin. He is sinless in every way conceivable. But now you're wondering, you're wondering, if Jesus can sin, in what way is he truly being tested here? Surely, to be tested, there has to be a possibility of failure. I hope you've asked that question, you know, just listening without thinking. We, we, we want you to grow and trust Christ, continue to grow and mature in the faith, asking difficult questions of the scriptures. It's a good question. But at this point, friends, we need to differentiate two things. We need to differentiate between why something cannot happen to Jesus, okay? And why something is not happening to Jesus right now in the desert. Do you get that? We need to differentiate between why something cannot happen to Jesus, as a matter of fact, and why something is not happening now. Imagine with me for a second a very bright student who is very good at maths. Parable like this illustration. The bright student is very, and he's not going to believe it. The bright student is very good at maths, okay? And the teacher, not Brother Rob, the teacher then hangs out a sheet with all the answers on it. We're going to have an exam, but I'm going to give you the whole sheet. You just copy it across. Yeah? You're allowed to do that. We have made it legal. So the teacher does that. You're allowed to use it. But one of the students thinks to himself, no, I'm not going to use this. This shit. Oh, I'm just gonna write the exam out. And he, for whatever reason, he decides to put that answer sheet in his pocket, okay? He doesn't want to look at it. And then he sits the exam. And lo and behold, after the exam, the results are in, he's got 100%, just like the other kids. So here's the question I have for you this evening Why did the student pass? Why did he pass? He passed because he worked hard, didn't he? He studied. And he diligently answered all the questions. He didn't refer to anything. He passed because he's a hard-working student. And he got the exam right by hard work. But if I ask you another question, if you permit me, could the student have failed the exam? The answer is no. He couldn't have because he was legitimately given the answer. You would imagine if the student tried to write and he got stuck, he could have easily pulled out the answer sheet and ensured he got 100%. So the reason, as a matter of fact, the student couldn't fail. But that's not the reason the student passed the exam. He passed the exam because he worked hard. What I'm telling you this evening is that as you think of Jesus in the desert... Think of Jesus as a hard-working student. His test in the desert is real. It is real because even though, so to speak, he has the divine answer sheet in his pocket, he is willingly choosing to face the test as a man. Can Jesus sin? No, because he can't. Because he has a divine nature with him always in the desert as a backup. 
so to speak. It is a fail-self mechanism that prevents sin if it needs to do that. But we must remember as we go through Mark that Jesus is doing these things as a man relying on the Spirit of God. Even though he's fully God, Jesus is not using his divine nature. And this will become very interesting as we think of how Jesus does the miracles. We'll be referring to Acts, aren't we? That Jesus went about doing good deeds. Because what? Because God was with him. Anointed by the Spirit. Even though he's fully God, he relies on the Spirit of God and the Word of God here to resist sin as a man. Do you get that? I hope you've understood that. It's quite a difficult thing to explain, but I hope you get it. And it's important you get it. Because as you look through here, you notice something interesting. Jesus is facing the test as a man because what? He's under such duress to the point that angels must come and minister to him. Let's read on verse 13. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. The reason the angels are ministering to him because he's facing this temptation as a man, as one of us. And he needs angelic help. And this is not the first time Jesus is going to face any at the test as a man. He would do it in Golgotha. He would do it in Gethsemane again. And there the angels will be charged again as he faces that test as a man to strengthen him again. You see, what Mark wants us to see even now is a very important point. It is cardinal in Mark. Jesus defeats Satan in the desert, not essentially as the God the Son that he is, but as one of us, as a man, like you, though he's perfect. And as I've said, this will be the way, all the way to Golgotha. Jesus will fight every temptation he faces and resist them as one of us. Why am I belaboring this point? Because it's so vital to us. And so encouraging to us. Because maybe you are a follower of Jesus. A true follower of Jesus this evening. And yet you feel frustrated that God is not taking away certain temptations from your life. I'm frustrated about that. And I'm sure you are frustrated with some of the temptations that you are facing in your life. That God doesn't just wish them away, so to speak. Maybe you work with a colleague who does not dress properly. And you're wondering, what's going on here? It's just Satan is on my case here in the workplace. Maybe you're just walking down there and living as you live in a sex-saturated society during the summer. With temptations everywhere. From billboards or Beyonce perhaps just staring at you. Or some other things. You're wondering, why isn't God dealing with that? Maybe you are just feeling mentally and physically exhausted, even as you sit here. And you, your pressures at work or in the home have made you angry and you feel even bitter at life in general. Or you face the temptation to be bitter. Friends, the pressures of these tests and temptations sometimes can make you feel distant from Jesus. Let's admit that. Sometimes when we're being tested, we can feel distant and lonely from Jesus. We can begin to ask, does Jesus really know what's going on here? Does Jesus really know the pressure I am under? Now you get why it's so important to understand what Mark is saying. Because in this passage, friend, Jesus is telling you this. He's saying, look, your Savior knows what it means to be fully man. 
He knows. I know how it feels. I know what it feels to suffer a barrage of temptations. For my whole life I've had to battle like that. Up all the way up to the cross. I know what it feels to be helpless and cornered by the world. That's what he's saying to you. There is a kindred of fellowship of knowing someone has gone through the same thing we have experienced, isn't that? It, it, it draws me to them, and I'm sure it draws you to people who have shared your struggles. When I was at university, I had a great affinity with fellow African students. Apart from the fact that we were trying to understand the Welsh accent together, we all paid £6,000 per annum and felt it. We felt the high cost of being in university in this country, and we felt the cultural struggles of just adapting to life in Wales. And the shared problems we had made it easier to approach each other well. You, you just go to another person because, look, you can ask them for money because they know you're broke legitimately. And you can say, I need help, friend. And they'll give you, you feel confident, some affinity. Are you facing a difficult test in your life? Jesus knows your pain. First hand. He's been tested here in the desert as one of us. So run to him in prayer for help. Go to him. If you know him, you can run to him. Jesus is not going to dismiss your prayers. Any more, even any more than my friends would have dismissed me at university who understood I was genuinely in trouble. Jesus knows, friend. He will not dismiss your prayers. He will not shut his ears to your prayers because you share the fellowship of suffering with him. You are his child and he understands intimately the pain you must be feeling. You can run boldly to Jesus and find help and comfort you long for. Because what? Jesus has been tested for us. And that's our second truth. Jesus is is not just tested as one of us. Jesus has also been tested for, Jesus has been tested for our benefit. Jesus is tested here for us. And that's our second point. Let's go back to Mark. We, we should note one thing here, that Mark is different from Matthew, Luke, and John. Mark is a fast-moving, fast-paced gospel narrative. Mark, you know, is only interested in detail that adds to the overall message. And we make a danger sometimes in reading Mark and trying to fill it in with what Luke or John says. And you can have sermons like that. But we must take Mark seriously as an independent narrative of the life of Christ. The important thing that Mark wants to tell us. And in this passage, Mark leaves out the temptations of Jesus. He doesn't want them to cloud from his central point. Mark is interested not in what Jesus was tempted with, but where he was tempted. Where he was tempted. Look at verse 12 to verse 13. Notice twice he mentions the word the word wilderness. Verse 12 says, The spirit immediately drove him, ah, that is Jesus, into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering with him, to him. 
Jesus is in the wilderness. And notice clearly here that he is there with what? With the wild animals. Why does Mark include this important point? He's including the point that Jesus is with the wild animals to remind us that Jesus is not being tempted in the garden as Adam was. No, Jesus is in the wilderness. You see, the setting for the temptation that Adam endured was a beautiful garden filled with comfort and amazing food, the love of Eve and the presence of the Lord in the garden. And we think to ourselves, having all that, and he still fell from grace. Jesus comes as our last Adam to be tempted, not in the garden, but in a fallen and hostile world. The world animals are depicting that the world has gone mad. Man is no longer in dominion and control. Jesus now comes to rescue us by coming into this fallen world, in our wilderness, in our desert. Mark is saying Jesus is here for our benefit. And he's enduring these 40 days to recover for us that what which Adam lost in Eden. You see, friends, as I said, Jesus must stay sinless to save us on the cross. And the message of Mark, Mark is teaching us here is that Jesus is not only tested as one of us, he's being here tested for us. Because through his defeat of Satan and his remaining sinless, he will go to the cross and lay down his life for our sins. And save us. Make us a people for his own. Now, Remember that Mark is writing this account for believers in Rome. Those of you who have listened to the last two sermons last week on this, you know that that's the context, isn't it? Mark is writing to believers in Rome. And these believers, they have unflinching faith in Jesus. But their unflinching faith in Jesus is running them straight into Nero's lions. They, will be, they are being put to death at the hands of wild animals. Can you imagine how they feel reading this? Can you imagine with me again, as I asked you last Sunday evening, to imagine them huddled together around a candle in a catacomb with Nero breathing down on them, seeking to hunt them down. And around this little candle now, they are reading this Gospel of Mark. Can you imagine them just how encouraged they are now as they think of their beloved Savior? They think of him not only as one who stepped in the muddy waters of the Jordan, but they can now see that Jesus is enduring, he endured pain and suffering with the wild animals. Mark has included this point. He has noted it down, the only one of the four evangelists to note it, because he wants to encourage these believers. They faced Nero's wild animals. But Jesus has faced them already for them. We can imagine them saying, yes, Nero is evil. But Jesus, our champion, has defeated and crushed Satan for us. We must hold on to Christ in the midst of persecution. Are you trusting in Jesus this evening? Well, if you are trusting in Jesus... What is true for the believers in Rome is true for you also. Jesus has defeated Satan for you. He has. 
And if you are like me, you know that you are often tempted to rest on your power in face of temptation. You do, you know that. And you always fail when you do that. If you're like me, you know, sometimes you're tempted to defeat sin on your own terms. Sometimes it's laughable. Not to the Lord, but when I think about it, I just, I see the comedy of human failing. In my own life, sometimes I'll try and avoid a sin by committing another. I think of sometimes when it has happened to me that somebody is trying to meet up with me and I, and I know that person who's trying to meet with me, they are no good for me. I know God actually doesn't want me to meet with them or, or have a chat with them because just they, I lose my focus. But instead of me just telling them, repent and believe the gospel, I'll sometimes say something that's just completely untrue, a lie. I'm trying to save myself from one lion by entering another, so to speak. And often we do that. I think of us in our marriages sometimes. We, we want to do the right thing in our marriage. We want our marriage to be holy, biblical. But do you know sometimes what happens in our marriages? In our effort to make a home a godly home, we may end up becoming Judaizers. We may end up disrespecting our wives. We're trying to do the right thing, but we're doing it wrong. And the reason we're doing it wrong is because we're doing it in our power. We do it in our own resources. And even in the church. We're trying to fix, do things where I've done it even here. My, my, my motives are right, and I'm not, at least I think they are right, as far as I can see. And I'm trying to do the right thing, but perhaps I'm sinning in the process. I am not thinking how the Lord would want me to think. I am not depending on the Lord. My goal is correct, but I'm sinning to get there. I am depending on my own resources. I don't know if you recognize that in your own life. But here's the good news, friends. Mark is telling us here, if you are trusting in Jesus, he has already been tested for you. Amen. He has overcome all the tests, all the way to the cross for you. Jesus has already won for you. You have already passed. The exam results are in. Passed. Paul says he has transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Paul, before that, says Jesus has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Past, qualified. And Mark is reminding us here that Jesus has already won for us. You have already passed. Beloved, you can breathe a huge sigh of relief. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. You have already triumphed for me. Regardless of what condition I'm in, if I'm your child, you have already triumphed for me. You, you don't have to lean on your own effort to defeat Satan anymore. Jesus has done it for you. The question you face, beloved, this evening is this. Do you believe this? Do you believe this truth? Those who know this truth in their hearts live with peace. When you know this truth, you have peace. They know that it does not depend on them anymore. Those who believe this truth are tremendously grateful to Jesus for all that he has done. And in return, they serve him out of gratitude. Those who believe this truth are growing every day to resist temptation, and they are doing it successfully. They are growing in persevering through tests 
Why are they doing that? Why is that? Why that paradox that Jesus, having done everything for them, all of a sudden they are more interested than to do things for him? Why that? It's simple. How can I tolerate sin in my life when Jesus, my precious love and friend, has fought tooth and nail to deliver me from it? How can I? Would you befriend someone who kills your wife or tries to kill your wife, your grandchildren? Of course not. What more Christ, friends? What more Christ? Who has laid down his life for your sin and mine? Who has fought tooth and nail in the wilderness for you? Why would you tolerate a sin in your life that Jesus has worked hard for you to avoid? Why would I tolerate and befriend that which pierced my best friend? That which Christ, my great champion and victor, has come to abolish. You see, friends, I said in a moment, let us all breathe a sigh of relief if we are trusting in Christ. And that is true. Knowing that Jesus has been tested for me makes me breathe a sigh of relief. The pressure is off me. But as, I, as, as, as that begins to sink in, I realize now I cannot tolerate sin. I must have a hatred for sin. It must, it, the love for Christ now energizes me to resist Satan. There is no conflict between grace and a clear understanding of sin. They are together because as we see Christ, Christ for our sins, we love him more. Not because we, wanna, we, we want to end grace, but because we have received grace already. We do it not in our strength even, but as our Lord Jesus has done it. By continuous dependence on God the Spirit. That's how Jesus does it here. By depending on God the Spirit. And he depends on the Word of God. And he prays and he fasts. Have you got trouble, tests in your life now? This is your blueprint. Cling on to Christ. Ask for the working of the Spirit in your life. Read the Word, as Jesus. He's able to read it and use it. Pray, will the Word of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, through prayer. And fast. Set a time with Christ. This is your blueprint here. We know, friends, that in Jesus, we have someone who has truly endured. For us, we have a great high priest, a merciful high priest, who is ever forever interceding for us. We can come to Jesus because we know that Jesus is more than equipped to help us. As we have seen, he has been tempted without sin. Are you a true follower of Jesus this evening? What tests are you facing? What temptations are you facing? Can I encourage you to come to Jesus, your great champion. Come to him this evening. Bring your temptations to him. Bring your test to him. I know maybe you feel ashamed to share with anyone in the church. I also encourage on Saturday as one brother just shared that it's been a difficult week for him. How so refreshing just to hear that on Saturday. This Saturday, this past Saturday morning. And we had a similar thing the previous Saturday. 
And it's great that the Lord is building such vulnerability in us too. Because we're beginning to know that Christ has made us complete. So we can ask others to pray for us with knowledge. But maybe here this evening you feel ashamed to share with anyone. Don't worry. Jesus knows. Jesus knows why you're struggling with that. And Jesus above all knows your struggles. Because you belong to him. You can go to him in privacy. You can ask him. This evening you can even approach him right now in prayer. You can speak to him and ask him to deal with your challenges. Because you see, Jesus is speaking to you directly right now. He's saying, look to me, not to other things. Come to me and find the help and strength you need. I've been tested as one of you, as a man. And I've been tested for you. I am your true help. Amen.